Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Now, just a summary of the Psalms. Um, Kendall easily writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so the Psalms remind us as we journey through them that on the mountaintop and in the valleys, God is worthy of our praise. Amen? And on the mountaintop and in the valleys, God is worthy of our trust. We trust Him when times are good. We trust Him when times are tough because He's in control and, and He's our God. And so we trust Him. We cling to Him. We have confidence in Him no matter what life brings. And John Piper writes about these psalms. He says, The psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. As I've told you, these psalms are actually collections of hymns that were written to be used in the corporate worship uh, among the people of Israel. And because they're hymns, they have that emotional aspect to them, and we connect with those emotions we see all throughout the Psalms and resonate with them, and we love them for that reason. So remember, these are songs that we are studying that were used to worship God. And we've made it to Psalm 72, which if you're uh, following along, is the final Psalm in book number 2. Now, Does anybody remember how many books the Psalms are divided up into? Five books. There are 150 Psalms, and they're divided up into five different collections. Five books. So we've made it to the end of book number two after this Psalm, and then we start Psalm 73, which is fabulous, by the way. Psalm 73 is 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 incredible. Uh, But that starts book three. So we got book three, four, and five. So uh, we are we're working our way through. We're almost halfway there. How's that make you feel? Excited? Okay. All right. Psalm 72, all reigning king. Let me read it for you. I'm going to read the first part, and we'll work through the rest of the psalm as we study through it. It says, Psalm 72 of Solomon. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth in his days. May the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask that you would draw near to us by your spirit in this moment so that as we study your word, uh, Lord, we would, uh, we would uh, Lord, encounter your word as living that you would speak to us, that you would work in our lives through your truth. Help us to understand this text. Help us to respond to this text. Help us to be moved by this text, uh, by your grace, and always for your glory. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we begin by talking about the authorship of Psalm 72. It says of Solomon, so it seems like a pretty open and shut case that Solomon wrote this psalm, right? Not so fast, all right? There's some scholarly debate as to who wrote this psalm because that, that word translated of Solomon could be translated to Solomon. 
So it could be of or to. And if you skip down to uh, verse 20, look how this psalm ends. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So some believe because that little phrase is in there, that Psalm 72 is written by David about Solomon. All right. Some believe that that was added in uh, to Psalm 72 to close out book number 2. So that is not actually a part of the original Psalm 72. So in that case, it would be Solomon that wrote it. So I believe David wrote it. I believe it's a Davidic psalm. I believe it's about Solomon. Uh, but it really doesn't matter either way. Solomon was David's son. They're writing about the same themes. Uh, and uh, we'll see what those themes are as we work our way through the text. So how are we to understand this psalm? I've, I've titled the psalm, Our Reigning King. Our Reigning King. How are we to understand this psalm. Well, there's two ways uh, for us to understand it, two headings, if you will, that we're going to think through this psalm. The first is interesting. This psalm provides a pattern for praying for world leaders. Because what's happening here is there's a prayer for the king, whether it's Solomon praying for himself or David praying for his son who would reign after him. There's a prayer for the king who was a world leader. Now, here's a question Should we pray for world leaders? Okay. Biblical rationale. Why should we pray for world leaders? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Hold your place. Turn to New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writing to Timothy. At this time, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul writes, first of all, I urge then that supplications, that means asking for things, supplications, prayers, intercessions, intercessions is praying for somebody else, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Then verse 2, he gets more specific, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So Paul makes it clear that Christians are to pray for those in high positions, those in authority, those, those who are kings, those who are world leaders. I believe this applies to uh, national level. It applies to state level in our country. It applies to local level. We need to pray for our leaders. Why? So that they can lead in such a way. Look what it says in verse 4 uh, or verse 3, that, that the citizens can, citizens can live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, that they can live in, in a context where they can worship the Lord and live for Him and make Him known because it says there in verse uh, 4, He desires all people to be saved. So we want a, uh, an environment, we want to live in an environment conducive to following Christ and sharing Christ with others. And so if we want that to happen here and all around the world, then we need to pray for our leaders, those in high positions. So everybody got that? We need to pray for our leaders. Now, how do you do that? How, what do you pray? I mean, what are some specific ways to pray for those who are in authority? Well, Psalm 72 gives us a template, gives us a pattern, because there's a, a person of high position, Solomon, being prayed for. So look back with me in Psalm 72, and let's answer the question, how do you pray for leaders? World leaders and national leaders and 
Local leaders, how do you pray? First of all, righteousness. Righteousness. We want our leaders to be righteous. Look what it says in verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. To understand the word righteousness, all you got to do is, is look at the first part of that word. R-I-G-H-T. Right. Righteousness is basically living right. Everybody got that? Living according to what God says is right. Living according to the dictates and the principles of and precepts of the Word of God. So doing the right thing from God's perspective. Not doing the wrong thing, but doing the right thing. And we want our leaders to live righteous lives, to make righteous decisions, to uh, surround themselves with righteous people. We need to pray for righteousness. Now, the other day in my own personal uh, Bible reading time, my time alone with God, I came across a verse in, in Proverbs 25. Turn there with me, Proverbs 25. When I came across, I wrote my little journaling Bible beside it. Great verse to pray for leaders. So look with me. Proverbs 25, verse 4. Take away the dross from silver, the impurities from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. If he has pure silver, he can make something with it, right? Now look at the application in verse 5. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in what? Righteousness. I thought, that's a great way to pray for leaders. And so, I pray for leaders, and, and I have a, a, a feed uh, through the International Mission Board where they uh, give you a different world leader uh, daily to pray for. And so, I, like, I'll be praying for the, the president of Namibia. Um, the other day I prayed for Robert Mugabe. He's the dictator in Zimbabwe. All right? He's, he's, a, he's not a nice man. He's an evil man. And you say, well, how do you pray for these folks? Some I've never even heard of. Like, one day I prayed for the president of Montenegro. All right? How do you pray? How do you, I don't even know who they are. How do you pray for them? All right? This is one of the ways I've begun to pray. God, would you remove wicked counselors from them? Get them out of their life so that they can move towards righteousness. You know, when you're surrounded by unrighteousness, when you're surrounded by deceit and evil, then you'll make bad decisions, right? He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we pray for our leaders. We need to pray, God, would you do whatever it takes to remove evil, wicked counselors that have their ear? Take them out of their life. Whatever you got to do so that they can uh, hear truth and move towards righteousness. That's why I begin to pray for world leaders, including our president and our Congress. That if there's anybody in their ear, that are saying things that are wicked and wrong, that God would just remove them. I pray that for President Trump. I pray that for President Obama. That, that if, there's, if there's wickedness that they are hearing, being influenced by, that God would remove that influence. So we're praying for their righteousness. We want them to do the right thing, right? According to the Lord's commands. So we pray for righteousness. Secondly, back in Psalm 72, we pray for justice. Pray for justice. It says in verse, verse 1, Give the king your justice, O God. 
Verse 2, may He judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And so the, the idea, David praying for Solomon or Solomon praying for himself, whichever route you want to go with that, the idea there is, would you allow the king of Israel, this leader, would you allow him to make just fair, equitable decisions, to do the right thing when he has to decide between two opinions or two parties or two ideas? Would, would you allow this leader to judge uh, with, with, with right, um, uh, right perspective? Would you allow them to uh, lead with justice? And, and this, this uh, prayer was answered. You remember when Solomon... Uh, went to Gibeon to where the temple was at that time, where the tabernacle was at that time. The Lord appeared to him and said, Solomon, ask me for whatever you want. Remember that story? And I tell you, Solomon didn't finish well, but he started really great. Because Solomon said, you know, I, I could ask for wealth and splendor and power, but I, you've given me oversight, Lord, of this great people, this great nation? Who am I to lead this great nation of yours? I need discernment. I need wisdom. And Lord says, well, because you ask for wisdom and not riches, I'll give you wisdom and riches. <laughs> I'll give you strength and influence, and I'll bless your kingdom, but I'll give you wisdom. And shortly after that passage, I think it's First Kings chapter 3, shortly after that passage, we see these two women come to him with one baby. Remember the story? And they're saying, hey, this baby's mine. The other mother says, no, this baby's mine. No, this baby's mine. And, and, and these two women had babies around the same time. One of the women um, rolled over on her baby during the night. The baby suffocated and died. And so she went to go get the other lady's baby because she wanted a baby. And they come and they're both saying, this is my son. I'm the real mom. And how in the world is Solomon going to know uh, which one is the real mother? And so he, uh, take, remember the story, takes the baby, says, give me a sword, he's going to cut the baby in half and give a half to each of the moms. That's the fair way to do it, right? The real mom says, stop! Stop! Immediately. Because she doesn't want her baby harmed. And Solomon knows that's her child. And, and the people watching in Solomon's court were amazed at his Wisdom amazed by his justice. So how do you pray for leaders? Pray for justice, that they would make good decisions when having to weigh in on any kind of issue. Third, pray for prosperity. Look in verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Would you allow the, the, the king to lead in such a way that the, peaceful, the, the people would prosper? That the people would prosper? That, that things would go well with them? That they would prosper when it comes to finances and, 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 and jobs and resources and, and advancements? Would you allow them to prosper? I think it's a, 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 a good thing to pray that a leader would lead in such a way that the country would prosper. Like Robert Mugabe in, in Zimbabwe has run the country into the ground. His regime is full of corruption and evil. And Zimbabwe, which has all of these incredible natural resources, is is in serious, serious trouble. The people are living destitute in many cases because of the corruption of this leader. And so I'm praying that God would, would, would 
change leadership or do a work in his life so that he can lead the people or someone can lead the people to prosperity where, where things are done the right way. Where people work and get an honest wage and the resources are used for the good of the people. Well, we want to pray that a leader will lead towards prosperity. Make wise decisions on behalf of the people. And again, we pray for our national leaders, state leaders, local leaders. We need to pray this. That they would make wise decisions so that the, the nation can, can prosper. Number four, pray for compassion. Look in verse four. May he, the king, defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. I like that. So, so would you work in this king's life in such a way that he would be a champion for those who are oppressed, that he would stand against the oppressors, he would stand against injustice, and do the right thing for those that need real help and assistance in their lives. Pray for compassion. Fast forward down to verse 12. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no help, or he has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. So he's praying for a king that really does care about other people, that values life, that values their lives, and stands for those that have no one else standing for them. And so we need to pray that our leaders have that kind of compassion for those that no one else may have compassion on. Next, we need to pray for a leader to have the fear of God. Look in verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. So he's praying here for the people uh, to to fear God. This, of of course, includes the king. The king would lead a nation to be a God-fearing nation. Have you noticed we don't hear that terminology much anymore? There was a time in America you heard it all the time. A a gentleman would be described as a God-fearing man. Our nation would be described as a God-fearing nation. Have you noticed we don't use that terminology anymore? You know why? There's not much fear of God out there anymore. We've put the Lord on the back burner, haven't we? And we're just doing, you know, doing life on our own, our own strength, our own wisdom without Him, without our... Uh, without a desperate dependence on him. And so uh, we want to pray that a, a leader would fear God and would lead others to fear God. And so if you're praying for someone that's, a, that's, a, that's an unbeliever, and, it's, and I pray for these different world leaders, I'm praying for folks that are unbelievers oftentimes. And, and, and I pray that, that God would save them that they would hear the gospel, that they would, they would give their life to Jesus and they would begin to fear the one true God. We want to pray that for our leaders. Next, we, we want to pray that they would be a blessing, not a burden to the people. Look in verse 6. May he, the king, be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. This is a way of saying, may the decisions of the king, may the decisions of King Solomon be a blessing to the people, not a burden to the people, which is a good way to pray for leaders. And finally, strength. We want to pray for their strength. Leadership is not easy. May he have dominion from sea to sea. May he, may he rule from sea to sea. May desert tribes, verse 9, bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And so he's praying for the king's influence, the king's reign, the king's rule. He would rule with strength. 
His kingdom would grow. And we want to pray that our leaders would lead with strength because leadership is not easy. Leadership will be tested. So I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope that you will, if you're not already, begin to really emphasize praying for leaders, starting in our country and in our state, in our community, and, and pray for those leaders. And, th- and use this little, maybe write this in the margins of your Bible by Psalm 72, write these little uh, bullet points down, righteousness, justice, prosperity, fear of God, compassion. Write those down, and, and when you're praying for world leaders, turn to Psalm 72 and just use those words as a template so you can pray for those who have influence in our society. Sound good? And we'll be taken seriously, First Timothy Two one to pray for those who are kings, to those who are of high position. That's what we are called uh, to do. So this psalm provides a pattern for praying for world leaders. Just I don't want to get off into to politics at all, but I'll just say this: we need to be praying for those at the highest levels of leadership. Uh, there, there are some really complex problems and issues, and and. Uh, and, and we, need to be, we need to be praying, for sure. So this psalm provides that pattern. But, but secondly, and I believe the, 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 the bigger purpose of the psalm, this psalm anticipates the coming of the King of Kings from the lineage of David. This psalm anticipates the coming of the King of Kings from the lineage of David. It becomes apparent that David goes beyond talking about Solomon. So he's talking about Solomon, praying for Solomon, but then it's apparent maybe Solomon is kind of a picture of a greater king. Because he begins to say some things that are, that are bigger than just Solomon. For example, look what it says in verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass. Like showers that water the earth in his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. So may may a king from David's lineage reign until the moon is no more. That's a long time, right? Look in verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. So perhaps he's talking about a forever king here. Not just Solomon, but a a king beyond Solomon. A king who will reign forever and ever and ever and ever from the same lineage. You see, if you look at that quote, God promised David an endless dynasty. Hold your place. Turn to 2 Samuel with me. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look in verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. This is the Lord speaking to David. He said, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about Solomon, because look what it says in the next verse. He shall build a house for my name. Who built the temple? Solomon did. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So in other words, David... Through your descendants, through Solomon's descendants, through your lineage, there will be a king that reigns forever. Keep, keep reading. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him, talking about Solomon, with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, how in the world is that fulfilled? Because right now, in Israel, there's no Davidic king on the throne. So did God just lie? How is, how is there a king from David's lineage that reigns forever? Well, turn to Luke with me. Luke chapter 1. This is the angel Gabriel talking to Mary. He says in verse, look in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. We're in the Christmas story, which we ought to be because stores are already putting out Christmas stuff. I don't know why that bugs me, it just does. We all know that you don't, take out your Christmas stuff or listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. We all know that. Alright? If you don't believe that, then you need to work on it. Alright, so... He says, He will be great, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give to Him the throne of His father David. He's from the lineage of David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. So that's how God's promise to David was fulfilled. From your lineage will come one who will be a king over every other king and his reign will never end. And that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that the earth is His footstool. He reigns over everything. One day He will return and set everything right and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? He is the King. His kingdom, His reign will never end. And so back in Psalm 72, when he's speaking of this, this rain that goes on and on and on till the moon is no more. He's not talking about just Solomon. He's talking about beyond Solomon, but from Solomon's lineage. He's talking about Jesus. God promised David an endless dynasty, and this was fulfilled in Jesus, the son of David. And this gets, you say, wait, are you sure about this one? Well, it gets really clear when you make a connection. Uh, look what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 72. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now we know Solomon didn't reign to the ends of the earth. He had a large kingdom. He didn't reign over all the earth, right? So could this be talking about another king, like King Jesus? Well, it, it is. And let me show you a connection. Hold your place, but turn to, turn to Zechariah chapter 9. You may have to go table of contents first. Zechariah chapter 9. Look in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What in the world is that talking about? 
is the prophecy of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Right? Riding in, they're saying, Hosanna. And so, hundreds of, listen to this, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ ever rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, the Bible said he would ride in to that city on a donkey. How cool is that? And people say, this is just a man-made book. <laughs> Written by human instruments, but God was writing through those human instruments to write down what he wanted them to say. Amen? It's the word of God. So we know we're talking about Jesus here. Look at the next verse. I will cut off the chair from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the, the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. Now look at this. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Exact same phrase used in Psalm 72 verse 8. So Psalm 72, Zechariah 9 are talking about the same forever king. His name is Jesus. I love this stuff. This is good stuff, isn't it? This is God's Word. And so, David is he, he's praying for Solomon, but he's praying for the lineage that would one day send a Messiah whose name is Jesus. So, what is David, back in Psalm 72, what is David thinking about this forever king? What does he want to see happen with this forever king? Well, we see his desire for the king's fame. The king's fame. Look in verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. Look at verse 19. Blessed be his glorious what? Name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So David's praying for this forever king that God promised him in 2 Samuel 7. He's saying, would, would you work in such a way that this forever king would be glorious? That, that, that people would see his greatness? That his fame would spread? He has a desire for the king's fame. Which, by the way, everybody look at me for a moment. This desire for the fame of Jesus drives everything we do here as a church. Why do we worship? Why do we reach out? Why do we invite people to church? Why do we start new groups? Why do we plant churches? Why do we send mission teams? Why do we send people out to live overseas somewhere? Why do we plant churches in the West? Why do we do that? Because we want to see Jesus get more famous. We want to see more people recognizing Him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? We want to see Him getting the worship that He alone deserves. So what drives the church is the glory of God. We want to see His name glorified more. That's why we do what we do. And David here is praying. He wants, he wants the, this king, this forever king, to be more famous. You know, there's a lot of focus in our culture on fame. You know, people do anything for fame. They'll sign up for any kind of reality TV show and you know, eat bugs or you know, whatever they got to do to be famous, Right? And, and because of reality TV and because of, you know, uh, social media now, you've got people that, that uh, have, real, have no real talent that can be really, really famous, right? And there's this desire for fame. But listen, the only one who is worthy of attention from everybody is King Jesus. So we ought to want to see him be more famous. His fame spread and grow. Now, a few thoughts about the king's fame. First of all, notice the duration of his fame. Look in verse 17. May his name endure how long? Forever. Look in verse 19. 
Blessed be His glorious name forever. And so, here in this psalm, David's saying, I... Uh, I desire that Jesus' name will be exalted forever. And, and, and it will be. In heaven we will be rejoicing in, extolling the name of Jesus. And by the way, the Lord is working in the New Testament church today for the same purpose. Hold your place. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Let me show you this. Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This wasn't in your notes. This was just extra. There's Con- I was waving at my son Connor. He's walked past that back door. <laughs> Cute guy. Ephesians 3. He says, I think that's why I hear him too. Okay. Um, Connor, will, he'll imitate me preaching. He'll, he has this little end table in his room and he brings it out and he calls it his pulpit. And he, uh, he, there he is right there. Hey, buddy. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, 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 there he is. So he'll bring out his pulpit and he'll, uh, have his, he'll have his Bible and he just starts yelling. And I say, Connor, is that really what daddy sounds like? Am I that loud? I go, Jesus! You know, so anyway. If that's what I sound like, I'm sorry. I just, I'm excited. All right. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God works exceeding abundantly through the church so that the name of our great God will be glorified forever. So back in Psalm 72, that's the duration of his fame. David desires to see his name praised forever. Why? Because it's worthy of praise forever. There'll never come a time when we can say, well, we've praised Jesus enough, hadn't we? No. His name will be worthy of praise forever. Secondly, the scope of his fame. Look in verse 19. Verse 19. Blessed be His glorious name forever. And this, this cranks my tractor. You ready? May the whole earth be filled with His glory. That's David's desire. I want everyone, not just the Jewish people, to know how great this king is. I want everyone to know how great this king is. And that's what God's doing in the world right now. You know what God's up to? He's working so that His glory will cover the entire earth. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, that the glory of the Lord will one day cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It's going to happen. It's coming to fulfillment. God's using us to do that. And so uh, he's saying, I want everyone to, to know of your glory. I want everyone to know of your fame. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. I'm, I'm grateful that we have the point. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful that I'm grateful I heard the gospel when I was nine years old and have been saved since I was nine. And I'm grateful for the church I've been a part of and this church and what God's done here. But it should concern us that there are people in this world that do not have the opportunity to glorify Jesus because they've never heard of Him. Right? They don't have what we have. I mean, I mean, I, I know my, my kids, we just saw my little one walk by. Uh, he, he's bringing uh, crosses home, two twigs tied together with yarn, and he came home as a two-year-old and said, Jesus died on the cross. 
He's hearing it from us. He's hearing it from these wonderful preschool workers. And there are kids in this world that have never even heard the name of Christ. They're in bondage to fear of the, the spirits and, or some world religion that is workspace where you hope you do enough to be acceptable to God. And they don't know of the hope and the peace and the life and the joy and the fulfillment that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be like David, we ought to say, Lord, I want to see your glory cover the entire earth. I want people in North America to, to see your glory. I want people in South Asia to see your glory. People in East Asia, people in Southeast Asia, people in Western Europe and Eastern Europe and Central Europe and South America and Central America and, and Africa and Australia and even the scientists in Antarctica. We want them to, we want them to see your glory, right? That's David's desire. It should be our desire to the scope of his fame. And then third, the reason for his fame. Look in verse 18. Oh, I love this. Blessed be the Lord. The God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. What is the reason that God is worthy of fame? Because there are some things that God alone has done that no one else has done for you. For example, God made you. Amen? You're here today because God knit you together in your mother's womb. Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your life has purpose and meaning and intrinsic value and worth because you have been created in the image of Almighty God. Has anyone else done that for you? Only one creator, right? And guess what? The reason you're listening to me speak right now is because He's keeping your heart beating. And your lungs breathing. He's, and not only did He make, make you, he, he upholds you. The Bible says with the word of His power. Anyone else doing that for you? I can't make your heart beat. I can't make your lungs breathe. I can't keep you alive. God does that. He redeemed you. The old song says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe in my love lifted me. And I'm here today preaching because love lifted this sinner named Wade Humphreys. He has redeemed me from my sin. He has forgiven me because he went to the cross and died in my place. And now I'm going to heaven. I, I, I don't stay in my grave forever. I don't go to hell. I get eternal life because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen? Amen? And because of those things, I am saved. I am redeemed. I am set free. I am made whole. Who else has done that for you? Only Jesus saves. No one else saves but Jesus. And so... The reason for the fame, uh, uh, the desire for fame here, he alone does wondrous things. He does things for us that no one else has ever done for us, no one else could ever do for us. And because he is the only one that has created us, the only one that has sustained us, the only one that has saved us, he alone is worthy of our praise. Amen? The reason for his fame. And then we see the desire for the king's fame. We see the desire for the king's influence. Look in verse 17. I want to close with this. 
May his name endure forever. May his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And so David is looking forward to this time when all nations will call the the forever king blessed. Is that happening right now? No, there are many nations that do not call on the name of Jesus. Is this ever going to happen? Uh, Look with me in Revelation chapter 7 and we'll close. I thought it was going to be done about 20 minutes ago, but I just got carried away. I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Apostle John has given this vision of the unfolding of the end times and what eternity will look like. And it says in verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, speaking of Jesus Christ. And so this desire of David in Psalm 72 does come to fruition. We all get to heaven. There will be people around the throne blessing the name of Jesus from every nation, every ethnicity, every language. And it seems from this passage and later on in Revelation, Revelation 22, when it says the nations come and go through the gates of the new Jerusalem, it seems to me that in heaven we retain our ethnic distinctions. So I, I believe in heaven that, uh, you know, I'm going to look like a, a, a Caucasian and, and my African brothers and sisters are going to look African. And, and I believe that we'll retain our languages, but we'll understand them. And so can you, ima- can, look, can you just imagine for a moment what it's going to be like? You're around the throne and you're hearing people cry out to Jesus from every language that's ever existed on the earth. And you're going to know what they're saying. Wow. That's going to be cool. I mean, that's going to be awesome. There's nothing like it. It's going to happen. David desired it. And, and God is going to bring it to pass. He desired for the king to have influence with all the peoples. And that influence will come to pass. It says over in Matthew 24 that all nations will hear the gospel and then the end will come. It's going to happen. So when we go on mission trips and send people out and engage unreached people groups... We don't know at what level we're going to see fruit, but we know at some point God's going to save some people from that under people group. At some point, because Revelation 7 is true, and He might use us to do it. Which, think about this for a minute, and I promise I'm going to close. Think about how incredible it would be to be around the throne and to see somebody there that you led to Jesus. And I believe in heaven, God's going to make all those connections for us. What about seeing someone around the throne, meeting someone for the first time, and they're there because of your sacrificial gift to Lottie Moon? And for the first time ever, someone came from a far country and planted their lives in their village or their city and shared Jesus with them, and they were saved, and your faithful giving made it possible? How cool will that be? You talk about some high-fiving around the throne? You talk about some, some, some tears of joy around the throne? Wow. And so it's going to happen. 
And God invites us to be a part of seeing that come to fruition. What an adventure, amen? And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of seeing that come to pass. So, this, this psalm is about Solomon, but it's about so much more than Solomon. It's ultimately about our reigning king. It, it provides a pattern for praying for world leaders, but it also anticipates the coming king of kings, uh, who is a forever king from the lineage of David. So I hope, when you read Psalm 72, I hope you never read it the same again. Amen?